Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Last time I was here, uh, we talked about Simon and how he represents a false kind of Christianity. As the gospel advances in the world, Simon is a good picture of a false Christianity. He's all about the wrong things. But now, we get a picture of true, authentic Christianity through this Ethiopian person in Acts 8, 26 to the end of the chapter. And so basically, whenever the gospel is moving in new ways, new movements, there's always going to be false things that are not true and true things that are true. So my question is, how do you identify these things? You know, apart from just doing like this and being like, ah, you know, like how do we know what it looks like for true gospel movement to be moving when there is new works being done. How do you discern the false product, right, as you just seek to have the true product? And basically, this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, which a eunuch is somebody who worked for a king's house and he got his stuff removed. You know what that means, guys? He got his stuff removed, his, his masculinity removed. That's a eunuch. He would... I'm trying to be uh, appropriate. Um, so a eunuch was someone who w- worked in the king's house and was castrated in order to be not worried about marriage and women. So this eunuch becomes a picture of true gospel movement. And the way I'm going to unpack this is by saying three things. Number one, what kind of people lead true movements? Second, what kind of seekers are consistent in true movements? And third, what is the results of true movements? So I'm going to read the text as we go along. Ready? So here's the first main idea is what kind of people lead true gospel movements? Angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come down to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home. He was reading the prophet Isaiah aloud, and the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. So here's the first way I unpack. What kind of people lead true movements? It's those who are seeking God's call, not crowds. They're seeking God's call, not crowds. You may say, why do you say that? Well, remember Simon from before? Simon got all excited about Christianity because it was getting popular. So false Christianity is always about, look, whatever's popular, whatever's trendy, whatever's in, I'm into that. But where does Philip go? He goes to a desert, okay? I don't know about you, there's nothing trendy or popular or exciting going on in a desert. Now, why the contrast? Because, listen... The world is always about getting in on what is popular to fit in, but because we already fit in, okay? We're already accepted by God's grace. We're already buried, hidden, and crucified with Christ. We're dead to this world of self-obsession and fitting in, and we're seated with Christ, forgiven and adopted and justified. We don't have to be about what's in, but about the glory of the God who has called us. And so, Simon 
It's all about what's in, what's popular, what is trendy. Philip is like, listen, I just want to be faithful to the God who called me. Where he calls me, I'm not about the trends and hype, which is why there's a lot of, a lot of trends and hype now in the church. You know, like one of, the, one of those trends and hype is the gospel-centered movement. Now it's popular to talk about gospel, right? So everyone's talking about gospel, and, and everyone wants to talk about gospel. They even know what they're talking about. But, man, it's trendy to do it. You know, gospel coalition. So let me just, and, and, and I'm just talking about that stuff because it's in. Same thing with the whole social justice conversation. You go to any, any state, any, any news uh, channel, and everyone's talking about social justice and inequality. And so, you know what? It's popular, so let's all talk about it. Now, listen. We don't talk about things. We don't pursue things because it's in. We pursue things because it glorifies God, not because it's trendy. Simon's all about that. False Christianity is all about trendiness. Biblical Christianity is about the glory of the God who called us, not trend. But here's the second thing I see here. True movements are led by those seeking souls, not statistics. So remember... Simon got all impressed with having the power to move the masses and and appeal to the masses and give the Holy Spirit, he says. (laughs) Where does God call Philip to? One guy. One guy in the desert. God's like, look, I got this, this impressive missionary call for you, Philip. There's a dude on a chariot in the desert. It's like, what? Beloved, false movements are always concerned with how many more than who. It's, not, it's always about statistics. How many people I can count? How many people I can brag on? How many people I can be in front of? How many hands I can count? It's all about the glory that comes from a lotness. All about the prominence that comes from numerical abundance. And so they're more concerned with the quantity of souls than the quality of the cross that seeks us to prioritize people, not numbers. So the Ethiopian is called out to a desert far away just for one guy. Listen, beloved, because we matter to Jesus... And because he mattered because of Jesus, we don't have to find mattering in numerical prominence. You can lead a Bible study with one or two people and be excited because it's not about how many people are listening to you, but about who names are there as you are hidden and secure in Christ. So because Jesus did many works that we're secure in, we could be more focused on names than numbers. More focused on people than how many. Listen, I remember when I first uh, did the church plant. We were meeting at night in a Lutheran building. And uh, between like people not attending church regularly and us having this huge kids ministry right away and having all these volunteers, I was like, there, there's like five people in the chairs when I would preach. Tanya was one of those five. Right? Remember that? And I remember talking to God. I was like, you know what? You brought me all the way from L.A. to Miami for this? And God's like, yeah, because you Simon. 
So the problem is not how many people are in the seats. The problem is you need to repent of your assignmentness, young man. And I'm like, yeah, 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 God, you're right. I mean, I didn't hear that audibly, but it was what I felt God showing me that I was caught up into this, how many are listening, as opposed to who is there. So it's led by those who are seeking souls, not stats. Lastly, it's led by those who are seeking God's providence, not to create some their own, some own power in themselves. Listen, it says that he was sitting in the chariot, and he saw this guy reading the prophet of Isaiah. So he saw something going on. God was doing something, and, and then the Holy Spirit said, go and join that chariot. So Philip sees God starting something, initiating something, causing something, and he just kind of follows. Simon was different, right? Simon was like, you know what? I, I don't want to follow God's leadings. I don't want to follow God's providence. I want to forge and carve my own path. Does that sound very American? So God's movements are about, listen, God is the one who starts things. I'm the one who follows what he starts. I'm not seeking to break grace, break ground or break ice in myself. Let me give you some practical examples of this. A lot of times um, I see people talk about, I want, to plan, I want to start a new church. I want to start a Bible study. I want to start a ministry. And I, I ask him, like, why do you think God is leading you providentially and you're following God's leading to do this? And most of the times, the only answer they give is, I feel like I want to do this. So you're not, you're not, you're not thinking, what is God doing? What is God providing so I can follow God? I'm like, let me just carve my own path. So Simon's all about carving his own path that has nothing to do with God's leading and, and providence. Philip is like, listen, I'm going to join in on what God is doing and just take his lead. So it's about those who are seeking to follow God and his providence, not create their own path and power. But, okay, so this is who, who leads these. What about the followers? What do the followers look like? This is the second point. Let me read the text to follow that. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, it says in 53, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. So here's the first thing I see. What, is it, what are people that are really seeking what they look like? Well, it's made up of people who are seeking God in spite of themselves, not because of themselves. They're seeking God in spite of themselves, not because of themselves. Why do you say that? Well, this guy was a, a Ethiopian, and he was a eunuch. And you know what happens to someone who had those two categories and went to the temple? He just came from the temple. He was leaving the Jerusalem temple. You know what happened to you? You were banned from going anywhere near the temple. If you, didn't, if you had some kind of disfigurement, general disfigurement, gen, general disfigurement, 
you couldn't go near the temple. And if you were an Ethiopian, you couldn't go near the temple. So basically, this guy just wants to go see God. And everything said, you're far from God. You're outside. You're not in. And what is he doing after he saw that, experiencing that? What is he doing on the way home? He's seeking God. So this guy, he realized that he is outside. He's not even close to being in. And he has nothing in himself to merit God's favor. And yet he's seeking God because this is what a true seeker is. Listen, false movements are about this. I'm always looking for some inner goodness in me that gives me a right to be closer to God. So I don't get a perfect resume, but my resume is not totally wrong. I got a neutral resume. You know, I don't got a bad resume. But what we see here with this kind of guy seeking God is the kind of people that God is truly moving and are those who think, I am guilty, I am outside, I am excluded, I am unworthy, I am guilty, I have no right, I am a million miles away from God. That is a true seeker. Not, you know, well, God is on the other side of the Atlantic. I'm about halfway on my moral boat or tanker, you know, like, uh, I, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like those people. Guys, you know why a lot of times when I hear about revival and conversions and so many people getting saved, I don't believe it? Because it has nothing to do with people realizing they're evil, guilty, condemned sinners under the wrath of a holy God that have been cast out and exiled and deserve to be in hell. Because I don't see none of that. I don't buy none of the, I decide to follow Jesusness. Believe it, beloved, that when you are truly seeking God, you are truly going to be broken and guilty and feel far from God and say, is there hope and grace for evil wretches like me? You're not going to be thinking high of yourself as you come to Jesus. True gospel movements consist in people who realize that God is seeking in spite of themselves not because of themselves. Let me say something very, very, very clear about this. If you don't realize why God deserves to hate you, you will never understand why he loves you in Jesus Christ. If you don't understand that you deserve to be in hell, then you have no clue what it means to be included in heaven. And so we see the Ethiopian, everything about his experience is I belong outside, I'm outside, and yet I feel like God... I want to have a relationship with God, not because of me, but in spite of me. So it's those who are seeking in spite of themselves, not because of themselves. But the second thing I see about the, the true seeker, they're seeking scripture, not signs. They're seeking scripture, not signs. So remember Simon? He's like, yo, the magical power. Like, I want some of that stuff. Give me some power, right? Remember Simon? The eunuch is like, I want to understand scripture. See, false movements are always about seeking signs and wonders and personal power. But true seekers are like, you know what? I need God to speak to me from his book. I need to know God. I need to hear from God. I need to understand God. I'm interested in the word of God understanding it, seeking it, receiving it. I have a word interest, not a wonder interest. See the difference between Simon and this guy? 
So when you truly are being sought by God, you're not looking for a power experience, an emotional experience, a mystical experience. You're, under, you're seeking to understand and know truth about who God is and what he's done for sinners in the book. Look, let me tell you something. Um, a lot of times, what, what, I, what I've noticed um, is that people oftentimes have these conversion stories about how they live this lifestyle and they change. Now they're different, they're better, you know. And here's when I, when I knew that God really had saved me as an unbeliever. So yes, my life changed. My wife saw me. I used to like, you know, be a, a, a lot different. But you know what was the biggest difference between before my conversion and after my conversion? I needed to hear from this book all the time. I wanted to know. I wanted to hear. I wanted. So yes, my behaviors change. Yes, my life changed. But the biggest change was like, I want to know this guy. Not just behavior change, but I want God to speak to me. And that was the decisive change. Beloved, true moves of God are where people are elevating scripture over experience. The truth of the testimony of God's grace in Christ over their personal testimony. The glory of invincible and infallible truth, not emotions and feelings and all these things. Obviously, those things are a part of Christianity, but we see here is that when God is truly moving, a seeker has a real concern with the truth of God's word, not just experience, power, and all these other things like Simon was. I just, I want to see scripture, not signs. So oftentimes I want to ask people when they say, I got a relationship with God, do you got a new relationship with scripture? If you got a new relationship with God, but not a new relationship with scripture, you probably are That's some other guy that you think you've connected with. To connect with God is to have a new relationship with his text. But here's here's the third thing I see about true seekers. They're seeking salvation, not self-improvement. So what's this guy reading? Listen, look look, look, look at he's reading. Out of all the books that we could find this dude reading in the chair, he says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb is silent before its shearer, he did not open his mouth. So he's reading Isaiah 53, which is about what? Christian. It's about salvation. So what was silent about? Power, signs, self-improvement, self-empowerment, self-aggrandizement, right? That's what was silent about. But what is the eunuch about? Salvation. Redemption. He is a true seeker. Why? Because he's mostly concerned, can someone like me be forgiven of my sins? Can someone like me be rescued? Can someone like me be adopted? Not self-empowerment, self-improvement. That's not what Philip is bringing to this guy. He's not looking for a better life. He's looking for rescue. A lot of people in Miami are looking for better living, but they're not looking for rescue. And they're making Christianity to be all about having a better life. Beloved, your problem is not a better life. Your problem is that you are guilty before your maker. You are under the sovereign domain of the devil. You have a destiny to eternal judgment. You are dead 
spiritually, you don't need a better life. You need rescue from your life. And so the true seeker is like, is there a God in heaven who saves and rescues sinners like me? Because I don't need self-improvements, self-empowerment. I need to be saved by someone. And he's in a text seeking salvation because he realizes he has a God problem that demands a God solution. We have a God problem that man's a God solution. Listen, a lot of times I'm in, I'm in rooms where I hear the, the Christian testimony. And it sounds like this. Listen, this is part of the testimony, but it's not the essence of it. Oh, I was, I was in the streets. I was a gangster. Now I'm in the church. I'm a pastor. I used to be depressed. Now I'm happy. I was single. I was immoral. Now I'm married. Have a job. Used to be foul mouthed, drunkard, cussing, fighting. Now I'm different. You know what's missing from that testimony? Redemption. Redemption. Like, I, I, I was on my way to be under the wrath and exile of God. And blessed be God, Jesus Christ endured my wrath. He took my punishment. He took my name to the cross. And he gave me redemption and eternal life. That's a Christian's testimony. And, and, these things changed. But beloved, if that's your testimony, then you have the same testimony of someone who found yoga, Islam. How, I'm going to ask you, how many people in jail find Islam and they, be, they get off the streets and they live more life? They're not saved! So this man, he, he's a true seeker because he's seeking salvation. Rescue, not just personal and self-improvement. But look, there's something else important about where this guy is in the text. He's not just seeking salvation, but he's seeking a suffering servant. So you guys are familiar with Isaiah 53 is often described as the suffering servant chapter. So when he's reading, he's talking about this guy who was abandoned, who was shamed, who was guilty, who was basically like this scapegoat. And remember, remember Simon, he wasn't interested in no suffering savior. Simon was like, you know what? I like Jesus the king. I like Jesus the conqueror and ruler. Like, that sounds dope to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, give me some of that stuff. Like, you know, I always joke, you know what kind of rescuer the world wants? They want a rescuer like Superman. What's Superman? Dude is ripped, handsome, flies around, you know, throws like buildings. Yeah, that's my rescuer. I want a superpower king kind of rescuer. And Simon's like, yeah, I want that guy. And yet the eunuch is like, I need, I'm seeking for a suffering savior. I need a guy who died naked outside the city as a criminal. I need a guy who was shamed who was condemned as a criminal, exiled to a hill outside of the city, and was outcast, judged, separated, 
relationally from his father. I need that kind of guy. Like, you know what? I don't need the super exemplary, you know, great example Jesus. I don't need the moral teacher Jesus. I don't need the mystical empowered Jesus, the miracle working Jesus. I don't need the political have your best America now Jesus. What I need is a suffering savior who was shamed because that's what saved me. I need someone to be outcast for me. I need someone to hang naked for me. I need someone to be judged for me. I need someone to be broken and bruised for me. I need a suffering Savior who took my place. Not some victorious, impressive, superhero, superpower, super whatever Savior. So he's... True seekers are like, listen, give me the Jesus of the cross. I heard one time, I was listening to this this, this famous preacher say, you know, you Christians, uh, he had an accent, so I'm trying to, maybe I shouldn't do that. You know, you Christians, you're always talking about the blood of Jesus, you know, and the cross. People don't want that. The resurrection, the power, and the spirit of God. And I'm like, you know what? You, Simon, homie, you don't want a suffering, outcast, abandoned, shameful redeemer because you don't understand that that's what you deserve and only that kind of guy can rescue you. Give me the powerful. Give me the, give me the glory without the cup of the cross. And set this guy, he is seeking to know and trust a suffering Savior. But here's something else I see. I see see one more thing about the kind of true seeker and true movements. They're seeking subjects, not secondary things. They're seeking subjects, not secondary things. Look what he says in verse 34. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who was the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? You know what kind of question is that? Is this about Jesus? (laughs) He's saying, This is about Jesus, right? I'm not sure. Can you help me? I think it's about Jesus. So the eunuch is all about understanding that Jesus is the point. He's the subject. He's the center. He's the apex of religion and the Bible. But what is Simon all about? What about me? What about me, right? Everything's about me, right? So true seekers are like, listen. I don't care about me. I don't want to learn about me. It's not about me. I need somebody else to be the center of my life, the center of my reality. I'm looking for a Jesus-centered reality, not a me-centered reality. But Simon's like, yo, man, let, let me make everything about me. Let me make a Jesus all about me. Sound familiar? Jesus makes you the hero of your own story. Correct? Which is why, like, we have, you know, you know what's funny? We have the Bibles, like the, 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 the Bible for moms. Well, the Bible's all about you being a mom, right? We have the military Bible. The Bible's all about you being a soldier. We have the, the uh, divorced person Bible. You have the policeman Bible. Like, what is the assumption in that? That the subject of the Bible is not Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. I am kind of like the subject. So let me make myself the subject of the Bible. So let me see every text about how it relies to me, not how it speaks to Jesus. But this guy is like, yo, 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 is this about Jesus? Because I understand the need to have a Jesus. Look, a lot of times people come to our church and they're always asking the wrong questions. They ask questions about tongues and, you know, do you guys do the tongues thing or not? 
Or they'll ask questions about, like, you know, kids' ministry. And, you know, they'll ask questions about, you know, maybe, like, end times. Are you guys, are you guys rapturists? you believe in the rapture? And, you know, they'll ask questions about politics and, like, where are you at? Are you a Trumpster? Are you a Hillier? You know, they'll ask questions about, you know, just a lot of just secondary things. Like, I remember one time I had someone come and they say, you know, you guys, you guys wear ripped jeans on the stage. You know, what's that about? You know, like, uh, you know, why do you guys sing your songs with your hands up and everything? Listen, you know what's wrong with all those questions? They're not getting the point of Christianity. The point of Christianity is, is this a Jesus emphatic, Jesus exalting, Jesus centrality church? Not, do you guys sing songs with ripped jeans or tight jeans? That's not the question. Do you guys speak in tongues or not? That's not a Christian question, essentially. The essential question that this guy's asking, is Jesus supreme or not? And he is. So, so, true religion, true movements, are always about Jesus being the subject and epicenter and point of everything. He's not a subject to be kind of put on the shelf for other important things. Now, we have secondary views and values about all these things, but it's, it's the secondary reality, not the primary. Make sense? When you go to a church, you should not ask how many classes of kids' ministry you have. You should be, is Jesus being exalted in kids' ministry? Is there a women's group? That's the wrong question. Is Jesus exalted amongst women or is it all about making your husband happy and making a nice table for him? Right? The question is, are you guys making the true center of reality and the Bible the center of this thing? First, that is what the true seeker is seeking. So what happens when someone does this? What happens when movements are led by these kind of people and consistent of these kind of seekers. Here's the last two things. These are the results. So what happens? I'm going to read the text. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. I don't, I don't know how much water was in the desert. Maybe they had to sprinkle him. Because <laughs> there wasn't enough water. I don't, I don't know. Those of you who laughed are nerds. Those of you who didn't laugh, you don't, need, don't worry about that joke. Those are, those are bad Bible nerd humor. If you never laugh at that, you're fine. Um, look, there's water. What could keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Did you hear that? Like, Philip evangelizes, dude, and he just disappears, like, like, you know, Yoda, Jedi style, okay? The Spirit of the Lord carried the Philip away, and eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus. Man, that'd be great. You know, I want to go preach the gospel in Cuba. Doesn't happen no more, I guess. And he was, now we got to get on American Airlines. And he was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So what happens? Here's the first thing. It results in God confidence, not self-confidence. Now, this guy asked for water baptism. Why? why? I think we have a weird view of baptism in a lot of places, but let me tell you what baptism is. Baptism means that you are filthy, guilty, and corrupt, and you need to be washed by the works of somebody else. 
Okay, that's what baptism, uh, baptism is not about you wanting to live a great life for Jesus. It's not about you impressing Jesus with your, you know, your decision. It's about the fact that you acknowledge that you are filthy, guilty, dirty, corrupt, lost outside of God, and you must be washed by the blood of Jesus. You must be rescued. So this guy's like, all right, I heard you preach. You know what? I got to be washed I got to be rescued because clearly there's something in me that is dysfunctional. That's his response. He realizes that he is small, little, and insignificant, and he must be rescued by someone else's significance. Now, let me tell you something. Have you ever heard the statement that religious people and Christian people are some of the most prideful, proud People that you meet, have you, have you heard that statement before? How could that be? How could people who have realized that they're so bad that on their best day, Jesus had to die for them, they're so filthy that unless something outside of them washes them by his goodness, how can that be the result of that reality? It can't be. True spirituality, true gospel movements will leave in us having a small confidence in self and a high confidence in God. You know what it looks like? Christ's life is more important than my life. Christ's obedience is more significant and prioritative than my obedience. Christ's love for me is more significant and grounding than my love for God. Christ's sacrifice and service and dedication and commitment is more prioritative, more important in my life than mine. I become God confident, God impressed, and me unimpressed. That's what it results in. It results in us having this big confidence in a big God, me being more impressed with Christ's image that he cast on me, my image that I cast, more impressed with his offices, his titles, and my office and my titles, whether it's mom or lawyer or whatever. It's just that's what gospel movements do, right? So here's the last thing I see. It results in God confidence, not self-confidence. Secondly, it results in us seeking signs of grace, not power. Us seeking signs of grace, signs of grace, just signs to point us to Jesus, not power. So remember what happens after, after when Simon leaves, what do you want? He's like, yo, 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 I want the Holy Spirit power thing. Like, I want to, like, you know, I want, I want all that, like, can I get that apostolic kind of, like, juice thing? Can I get, like, the, you know, I give the Holy Spirit to people thing? That's, what he, that's his response, right? What is this guy's response? Can I get water? Can I get some water? Like, what? Why, why, why? You, just, you, just, you just found God, and you want some of this on you? What's up with that? Didn't Simon get it right? Simon got it right, right? You got big stuff, right? Big, 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 right? No, 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 beloved. When the gospel has truly, truly, truly wrecked us and loved us and changed our reality, We're no longer chasing impressiveness. We're no longer chasing events and stupendous experience. We become much more simple, and we say things like this. Can you give me a local church? Can you give me a bunch of weird, precarious, strange people like me that are unimpressive to do life with? Could you give me some preacher, you know, with a crooked nose, tattoos, Jordans, and some book to talk to me. I mean, these are the kind of things. 
that when the Spirit of God is wrecking you, you're like, I just want someone to open some book that was written you know, in Greek thousands of years ago. I just want a local gathering of people. I just want, can you put that water on me? Can you put that water on me? Because you know what that water does? It points me to Jesus. Can, 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 I, can I get a table? Can, can, I, can I eat? Can I be reminded of the love of God in Christ for me? Can I eat and drink and be reminded? Can, can, I, can we pray, beloved, when the gospel is truly moving, Christianity will be very, very defined by being committed to, satisfied with, and content with simple things. When the Spirit of God is not moving, it's always something to spice up Christianity because it's never enough. Right? Preaching, tables, fellowship, prayer. No, no, man, man, we, we gotta have concerts and we gotta have like shaz and bazaz and we gotta, you know, we gotta do this thing big, right? No, no, that's what it means when Jesus is not enough and you're not receiving the power of God's grace and now you're coddling yourself with humanistic fillers. That's not the move of God. This guy gets saved and he's like, water. Can you give me things that connect me to Jesus? Can you connect me with Jesus? So here's the last thing I'd say. I lied. There's one more point. Uh, it results in joy in Christ, not persons. So listen, what happens? This guy gets snatched. The guy who leads Philip, uh, the guy who leads the eunuch to Jesus gets snatched and disappears. And what happens afterwards? He what? He's all happy. <laughs> Basically saying, look, my... Simon, the guy before, he was all obsessed with people. Everything about his Christianity was being obsessed with people first, Jesus second. So the, the eunuch loses his discipler, and he's rejoicing in Jesus. Why? Because his Christianity is not about people first, Christ first, people second. Now, listen, me and my wife have been all over the country. You know what, you know, you know what, you know what has been amazing to see by God's grace? is that we've been in D.C. together, we've been in L.A. together, and we've been in Miami together. You know what? We've enjoyed people in all these places. You know why? Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And wherever Jesus is, I can enjoy people, right? But Miami's not like that, right? I can only, I can only enjoy Jesus with my friends. Friends first, Jesus second. So wherever my friends are, there I'm going to be about Jesus. Or I can only enjoy you, wife, right? right. You know, I, I got to please you first, placate to you first, Jesus second. Family, mom, right? I'm going to church, why? Because mom, mom and dad want me here, so it's you first, people first, me second. Or pastor, right? You know, like everyone gets attached to a pastor or a leader, and they just follow him around all over the place. Why? Because it's people first, Jesus second. But what we see with this guy is it's people second, Jesus first. My religion is not based on someone's. It's based on Christ. So I can not be obsessed and attached with the people. I can follow Jesus and be rejoicing in Jesus. Make sense? That is very hard for us here because, again, we filter everything in Miami through people first, Jesus second. So most people go to a church not because it's Jesus exalting, because their friends and their family are there. And so I'm there, right? I can attach Jesus to my me circle. No, but this dude, <laughs> Philip, disappears. And the eunuch is like, I'm good because I got Jesus. It's not about him. It's about Jesus. So let me, let me go back and just make a few applications, a few applications. So listen, if true movements are led by those seeking a call, not crowds, beloved, we should be people who are asking God, what do you want me to do for you, not what's in? Listen to me. 
We should be people that are asking God, what do you want me to do, not what's in? Beloved, Christianity is not Pinterest. You're supposed to laugh, ladies. That's a you joke, all right? Christianity is not Pinterest. I'm looking around. Whatever's in, whatever's, you know, like trending, it's not, that's not us. What do you want from me, God, not what is in? Second, if true gospel movements are about souls, not stats, then we should be about people first, not using people for things first. Let me give you an example. Some of you want to do a Bible study, so you need to get people for your Bible studies because that's your priority. Right? So you want to do a Bible study. You want to do a ministry. So you got to find people because that's your priority, beloved. But you should do a Bible study because you want because people are your priority. You make sense? People are my priority, therefore I do Bible study. Not I want to do a Bible study, therefore I need to recruit people for my purpose of Bible study. Make sense? We should be people, people first because we're about souls, not stats. Let me tell you something. If you're not interested, and, and I, I say this to myself, if you're not delighted, interested in one person's well-being, then you can't be delighted in 50 people's well-being. Because you're making it to be about how many listen to you as opposed to the names and who's are there. We should be people first people. Second, if true people are about seeking God and inspire themselves, not because of themselves. So this eunuch, he's, he, he sees outcast, outcast, away, away, and he's still seeking God because he realized he is an outcast. And away, listen, I'm going to ask you a question. Could you honestly say that people that work with you, people that live within your house, are you becoming more, more of a person who's easily to confess their sins? Or are you still the same old person who's always making excuses all the time for why you sin? Are you in your workplace, in your home, or in your Christian connections, are you more able to receive correction and be acknowledged as a specific sinner, not a general sinner? I'm, I'm over generic sinners. You're a sinner out here, but you're not a sinner on the ground. Are you growing and being able to hear that more? Are you the victim all the time that's always misunderstood? Beloved, our stuff, our Jesus-centered religion consists in us having a gospel understanding that results in us being more aware of our sin, more aware of our neediness, and actually living that out. Ask an honest question. Ask your wife. Ask your kids. Is the last two years, have I seen daddy or mommy or friend or whatever grow in their capacity to hear that they're not perfect people that need Jesus? That's what our movement consists of. Thirdly, fourthly, if true movements are about understanding Scripture, not signs, beloved, we should not be looking for something else in our lives, but we should be looking for something that's been said already towards us in this book. You know what, you know what I know as a pastor? You know, what, you know what a lot of your problems are? You're, always, you're looking for some other... You're looking for some other way to God to prove himself to you, right? You're, 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 you know, you're over here. What about over here? What over here? Beloved, everything that God has done to prove it to you is in this book. This is a Genesis, a Revelation love letter from your dad about everything that he's given you already in Christ. He doesn't need to prove himself to you anywhere else. Secondly, about, listen, we should not be devotional people first, blog people first, Facebook people first. We should be people of the book first, right? You know, I'm shocked is, is that how many people, you get all your Christianity through somebody else. All your Christianity is through somebody else. Some, some Devo, some blog, some writer. Look, that's fine. I get that too. But beloved, this should be our, I mean, this book should be our primary focus as to where we're hearing from God, right? 
Listen, a lot of times I hear, to, I, hear, I hear Christians say things like this. You know what? I'm not much of a reader. You know what? Can I, can I, can I, can I be a little tough? Grow up. You know, you don't say that about other things, right? I'm not much of an eater. I don't like eating too much. I'm not much of an eater, you know. I'm not much of a sleeper. I'm not much of a water drinker. Dude, you know you got to eat and drink water and sleep, even though if you're, not, you're not an eater or a sleeper, right? Right? So I get it. I'm not, you're not a reader person, but still, I still need to survive by words spoken about Christ in this book. So I, I can't just... Chalk it up to, I'm not a reader. Well, look, I'm not a sleeper, but I got to sleep at night, man. If if it was up to me, I would sleep four hours and be good. If it was up to me, I would eat twice a day and be good. But you know what? I'm an adult now, and I realize life doesn't work that way. We should be book people first. Because we realize our need and our desperation. Fourth, if the true movements are about the glory of a suffering servant, then we should see everything differently. So, so check it out, guys. Jesus, Jesus saves us through what? Through dying, right? It is through his sufferings that we're healed, correct? It is through him being abandoned that we're accepted. You know, what that, you know what that means? That means your whole life now is filtered through this reality. So if Jesus is glorious in sufferings, then how are you going to see sufferings in your life? Sufferings is the things that God uses to strip me of my pride and self-sufficiency and independence, and it's the things that bring me to enjoy the glory of a suffering Savior. Also, look, according to the world, suffering is bad, uh, you know, victory is good, right? But according to the cross, what? It's different, right? Do you know what that means? uh, Wife having a really bad week, giving me the, you know, the you know, what? Or, or on the flip side, me having a really bad week, you know what? That's, in, in a humanistic mind, that's bad. Her being nice, him being nice is good. But if the glory of a suffering Savior is my filter, no, nah, no, nah, I know that's the stuff that God uses to produce faith and humility and God-centeredness. Why? Because I'm seeing everything in light of this cross-centered filter of a suffering Savior. Right? I have to see things from that. Here's the last thing. I say two more things. If, if true gospel means are about seeking signs of grace, not power, seeking signs of grace, not power, then we should be, you know how I was saying before about, you know what's the key to health? The key to health is what? Come on, all you health freaks, tell me. What are the three things? Sleep, exercise, diet. Okay, it's not... It's not like, it's not going on crazy diets every six months while you live an unhealthy life for six months. It's not, you know, getting surgeries. It's not like, you know, taking some pill that kind of speeds your metabolism or, or, or you know, I smoke because it, it's not that, okay? The key to healthy living is doing three basic things over and over again. Beloved, you know what Christianity is? It's doing basic things over and over again. I hear preaching over and over again. I read the word of God and receive God's grace over and over again. I pray to him. I see signs of his grace on the table. And on, that's, that's my Christian life. There's no short circuit to that. There is no bypassing that. Listen, if you're not doing those three basic things really well, nothing you do in Christianity is going to matter. Three basic things. I'm going to be a master. You know the problem with us Americans is we're masters in everything, right? Right? We're specialists in everything, right? 
We're, we're, we're image specialists. We're eating specialists. We're, we're, we're media specialists. We're beach specialists. We're workout specialists. We're, we're technology specialists. I mean, we, we just, we just everything specialists, right? Parenting specialists. Listen, be a specialist in three basic essential things that are your, about your well-being in Christ. Simple, basic things. Last thing I'd say about if true gospel movements are about a joy in Christ, not people, then we should be different than Miami people in the sense that I don't, beloved, I don't need you to enjoy Jesus in my life. Listen, if next year all you guys are gone in my life, Jesus is still enough for me. I don't need my wife to be on the Jesus train with me to enjoy Jesus. Jesus is sufficient. I'm not enjoying Jesus through her first. I'm enjoying Jesus through him first, and I don't need to be shackled to that person. Same thing with friends, family, beloved. The problem, the problem with, with our city is that it's, it's our social circle first and Jesus second. So you can enjoy Jesus so far as your social circle would allow you. So if your social, if your social circle pulls you away from Jesus, then that's good. Why? Because social circle is more important. For example, what happens a lot of times in Miami, I'll give you one more practical example. Um, someone gets mad, someone has an issue in the church, and they leave the church not because it's not Jesus-centered. They leave the church because their friends left the church. And the assumption is this. My joy is in you first, Jesus second. So it's not about Jesus-centeredness first. It's about you-centeredness second. So, and, you know, and, and we like that, right? It's like, will you leave with me because I'm unhappy? Listen, we don't live that way as Christians. We don't live that way as Christians, correct? Our joy is in our Savior first, not our family, not our friends first. Amen? And I say this all the time. You know, it's like, listen, um, if we have multiple pastors in this church, multiple pastors who are leading this church, and if, some, if, if, if I'm not here or anything, your joy should not be in, intrinsically bound in someone like myself. It should be bound in the Jesus who's being preached by whoever is taking that position. Right? This guy, he's the guy saves, he brings the Jesus, and dude just disappears, gone. All right, Jesus is still the king. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, um, as you gave us like a very negative story about just weird religion that sounds Christian, but it's not. It's all about power and self-importance and self-esteem and self-prominence. You give us this bad picture. And yet, you give us a good picture by a guy who's a eunuch and who's Ethiopian and who's in a desert. Beloved church, that, 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 this is us. This is us. And, and so we are the eunuch. We are those who are seeking to be Jesus-centered, salvation-focused, word-focused. So God, help us to embrace the trueness that comes that we see in this story and help us to perpetually repent of our Simon-like tendencies that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconciledchurchmiami.org.